So, thank you. Yeah. Let's have a let's have a prayer for her. yeah. Let's uh let's have a prayer. Lord, we uh, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, and particularly those in Afghanistan today that are suffering and dying for the faith. We ask that you would raise up uh, Christians all around the world that could step up and provide the needs that they have. Lord, use us in any way that you can. Father, we uh, we're grateful for the opportunity to uh, to just be known by by your name, and Lord, we we just. We, we ask for your protection, that you would shield those people and that you would be with them, that they would know that you're with them even now. And we ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, JR. And thank you, guys. As he said, that'll be on our Facebook page if you would uh, be interested in, in helping out. Uh, now, as, as I mentioned, uh, I'm, I am really excited about this message. And last week, I mentioned if you wanted to go a little bit deeper, of course, we've got table groups on Wednesday night. Kicked those off last Wednesday. It was a lot of fun. Those of you who came, I hope you had a great, uh, great time, and we're going to do it again this Wednesday. If you didn't make it, you can still, you can still take place or take part in it, and it'll be a great time. Uh, but uh, if you're wanting to go deeper also, we bought the, some of the books that go along with this series, and we've got some available in the cafe for 10 bucks. if you want to grab one. I uh, would, would love to get that in your hands today. But uh, I, I love the title of this series because nobody sets out to become a Pharisee on purpose. It just kind of happens by accident, and I told you last week, but I really want to emphasize this, and I don't want anyone to miss this, so like, this is the part that I think last week I had a couple of people that that really missed this, I'm like, you were staring right at me, how did you not hear this part, but I really need you to hear this part, as you're listening to this series, you are going to be tempted to think, man, I really wish so-and-so were here to, to hear that. Or I hope that that person, you know, over there three rows up, I hope that they're really paying attention because this message is for them. Or, oh, so-and-so didn't make it to church today. I hope they're watching online. Or I'm going to tell them they need to go back and watch that. If you think any of those things, you, are just, you have missed the whole thing. This series, this sermon is not for that person. It's for you. And it's for me. That's what I love as I'm reading this book. As I was reading the book and diving into it, I thought, you know, I need to read this because I've got to be prepared in what I need to say to everybody. And, and what I learned real quick as I was reading is, oh, no, this is, this is about me. And I'm learning a lot of things and growing in, in my own walk. So I want you to remember that. And, and the Pharisees, you know, if you, if you missed last week, we kind of set the stage for where we're going to go. Because one thing about the Pharisees in Jesus' day, they were the spiritually elite. They win at everything. They, they are, are everything that we would look up to spiritually, they excelled in. And they beat us. And they beat us at everything. But the point I really wanted to drive home last week is that if we become so overzealous in our pursuit, we can forget who we're pursuing. And we have to be careful not to do that. Today we're going to look at this other area where we all struggle to a degree. And that's the trap of comparison and pride. We just can't help it. We all struggle with that a little bit. Now, some of us, it's a little, little more difficult. But it's one of the first things that you learn how to do. When, when my kids were really, really little, I mean, and, and everybody's kids do this. I, I can remember holding them on my lap, and they'd kind of, you know, they'd be playing with your fingers and different things. And they'd hold their hand up, and they wanted to put their hand up next to your hand. Because they're comparing, you know, how, how big is my hand next to your hand? And, you know, and, and as my kids would grow, they would say, look, look, my hand's getting bigger and I'm almost as 
big as your hand now. Right now, you know, my oldest son is 14 years old. He's a freshman in high school. He's very active. And he, he is way more muscular at his age than I ever was at his age. And he walks around strutting his stuff with a six-pack. He'll, he'll take his shirt off around the house and walk around and just flex. But, hey, Dad, look at this. And just, you know, just, they just pop out. And so whenever he does that, I just, I got to just put him in a headlock and wrestle him to the ground just to remind him who, who's still, you know, I still got it. It's going to be really, <laughs> it's going to be really sad. It's going to be really sad when he takes me out one of these days. You know, it's, I still got him, you know, I'm still a little bit stronger. But, but comparing, we just can't help it. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, if anyone would like to acquire humility... I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. And that's a big step, too. At least nothing whatever can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, you are very conceited indeed. That kind of hits you between the eyes. If you think you're not, oh, you're real. You're really conceited. (laughs) And the, the first and most difficult step in overcoming our issue of comparison and pride is to admit that, yeah, I do that sometimes. And we do this spiritually too. Once we start walking with the Lord, it just doesn't take very long at all. I mean, somebody can become a Christ follower, and and before they've barely gotten out of the gate, we start looking around us and wondering why other people aren't as excited as I am. And why aren't they keeping up with me? And why aren't they in this group and why aren't they going to that conference and why aren't they going to all these concerts and why aren't they doing the things that I'm doing because I'm so excited about it and you should be too and we begin to see where we measure up spiritually with how other people are you know how well am I doing how bad is that person doing it's a crazy thing to do because there is absolutely no way for us to see a person's heart we have no idea what's happening behind the surface and you know as well as I do that we're really good at making things look good when they're not good we can polish things up and the Pharisees looked great on the outside but they were dead on the inside all polished but there was nothing going on Larry Osborne writes in the book he says our spiritual comparisons are incredibly biased we have this amazing ability to compare things in a way that causes us to come out on top. And when we come out on top, it's really hard not to look down on people who don't measure up. Pride is a killer. It interrupts your relationship with God. And I'll tell you about a time where, where this hit me recently. At least, as I was trying to think of stories, uh, this is one that popped into my mind. One day, uh, this is a few years ago, was in the office, and I don't remember what happened. Uh, either watching something on the news or something. I, I really don't remember what it was that happened. But at the time, Irene McCullough was working in the office with us. And I love Irene, man. She's, she's awesome. And, uh, and, and I was talking, and I remember I was talking to Irene, and I said something like, can, you know, can you believe people do this? It, this just doesn't make any sense. And, you know, I know I've done some bad things in my life. I've been messed up, but I, I would like to think I would never be that bad. I've never done anything that bad. And Irene looked at me, and she said, you know, just in her little wise way, she says, you know, I'm just thankful to God and His grace 
Because it if it weren't for that, that could easily be me. There but for the grace of God go I. I thought, yeah, I'm a butt. <laughs> You're right. I'm, I'm a broken, sad man. But, you know, it's, and I, and I don't know. But, but I, I feel like that's what my spiritual growth has been like. It's just about the time I think that I'm doing pretty good in one area. Like, I'm real, I got this together. I'm really growing. Like, I see progress. And then I'll see this whole other area that I'm like, oh, okay, well, there, there's where I'm lacking. There's something that needs to be, you know, brought up to snuff a little bit. And, and, and I, I, there's this shocking verse of Scripture in the Bible in Proverbs chapter 6. And it's, it's shocking because it's a list of the things that God hates. And you wonder, wouldn't it be nice to know, like what, because you know there's got to be things that God hates more than others. Like there's some things that God looks at that we do, and I mean there's got to be things that, that he looks at and says, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not real pleased with that, I wish you'd knock that off. And then there's, there's other things that he says, you know, I'm ready to grind you into a fine powder right now, I hate that so much. Well, the interesting thing is in Proverbs chapter 6, we've got a list, and this is what it says of what God hates the most. It says there are six things the Lord hates. No, seven that he detests. I'm like, well, is it six or seven? Like, let me know here, you know. But uh, that's just me being a smart aleck. But the next verse, it says, here, here they are. Here's the list. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. Those are the things God hates. Six things, no seven, that he really, really can't stand. Did you catch the first thing, though? At the top of the list, what tops the list of the things that God hates? Haughty eyes, arrogant eyes. When someone looks down their nose, that's somebody else. There's a lot of things that anger God, but we, we may not think that that would be at the top of the list. Like, that's, that's number one. Murder is number three. <laughs> I mean, that's how serious and legit this is. And we, we kind of think that, you know, okay, so I got this little comparison issue. I got this little pride. Like, sometimes I probably think a little higher of myself than I should, but that's not that big of a deal. Like, that's not up there with, like, one of the major sins. But according to Scripture, no, it's not just up there. It's there. It's right out front as, as one of the things that God hates the most. And the funny thing is, this, this particular issue, haughty eyes, arrogant eyes, is most usually found among people who think they love God the most. That's where we find it. The moment that you think, well, it's not me, it's not me, you better pause for a second because I'm convinced that no one becomes like that on purpose. We don't, we don't do it because we just want to be mean people or judgmental people, but somewhere along the way, accidentally, we get off track and we become like a Pharisee. Jesus knows this is a struggle for us. And one day he hit on this exact topic in Luke 18. The Bible says that he told his next story to some who were complacently pleased with themselves over their moral performance, and they looked down their noses at the common people. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, 
the other a tax man. So a tax man, he was a thief. This is somebody that everybody hated. He would rob from people. He said, the Pharisee posed and prayed like this. He said, oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, crooks, adulterers, or heaven forbid like this tax man. I fast twice a week and I tithe on all my income. Sounds pretty puffed up. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. I, I've, I've got this thing down. But here's the thing. Everything he just said there was all true. But that Pharisee just said, hey, I'm not like these robbers and crooks, and I, I don't do all this stuff, and I tithe, and I, I, I fast, and I pray, and I do all this stuff. He's exactly right. He did do all those things. I'm sure he, was, he had a lot to, to be confident in. He was a moral and, and devoted guy. But then Jesus goes on in the story and he says that, meanwhile, the tax man slumped in the shadows, his face in his hands, not daring to look up, said, God, give mercy, forgive me, a sinner. The guy was too ashamed to even look up. His prayer wasn't very elegant either. He just said, you know, forgive me, if you can. If you can give any mercy toward me, please do. It says, verse 14, Jesus commented, this tax man, not the other, went home made right with God. And if you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to be simply yourself, then you will become more than yourself. There's, there's a lot in there that we just really cannot miss. But, but there is one thing I think is so interesting. There is no indication in that story that the tax man had cleaned up his life before he went in to pray. It doesn't say anything about that, that, oh, he, he cheated people and, and robbed for people. There was no indication that before he went in there, he said, okay, I'm going to get myself together and then ask God to forgive me. And there's no indication that when he left that he made some decision like, I'm, I'm done with that old life now. I'm a different person. I'm a changed person. You know, it doesn't say anything about that. But his prayer was heard. God had mercy on him. And in the words of Jesus, it says that he went home justified. He went home made right with God. This, this traitor and this thief was given mercy. But the Pharisee who lived such a great life that he'd begun to look down on other people was ignored. Isn't that kind of turn everything up on its head a little bit? According to Jesus, all of that Pharisee's good works meant nothing. It meant nothing because he had become so arrogant in his own righteousness. And here's the real kicker about this particular issue. Pride is a spiritual blind spot you know what a blind spot is uh, I, this week I was messing around with it there's you can find different things online it's kind of fun there's one where you take a card it's got a plus on it and a dot and if you hold it just right and look at you know close one eye and look at it and you move it you'll get it to just one spot where you can't see the dot and I was doing it this week I was doing it with the staff they're like this is the weirdest thing like you can't see the dot it's right there in front of your face but it, there's a, we all have a natural blind spot in our eyes that that we cannot see you know when when something is right there and the interesting thing about it, it, it it's it kind of weirds you out because you're like I know it's there I know it's there, but I cannot see it at all. We are physically 
incapable of seeing it. Now, here's something I'd love for you to remember. This is, this is really deep. But you can't see what you can't see. Aren't you glad you came to church today, man? This is, you're, getting the, you're getting the top shelf stuff. You can't see what you can't see, you know? Of course, you're thinking, duh, of course not. But li- you literally cannot see what you can't see, meaning it could be in front of your face, and if you can't see it, you don't know it's there. It's just, if you don't know it's there, it's going to be really, really hard to do something about it if you don't know it's there. And I, I'm going to tell you something. There are some of you in this room right now that this is a real issue in your life. And you're a little on the puffed up side. And you're a little on the prideful side. And you look down your religious nose at others. And you can't see it. But people around you do. And they may not say anything to you because they're too nice. But they see it. And you don't. And, and just because you can't see it does not mean it's not there and I personally believe that ought to put a little fear in us (laughs) because we need to ask ourselves is it me Am, am I like that because if there's something in your life that God hates and you can't see it we'd better open ourselves up to some accountability we better open ourselves up and say hey help me see what I can't see you know you you've got eyes on my life Help me see that, that thing, that, that, that blind spot for me. You know, th- that's some powerful stuff. Help me see what I can't see. And this is the problem with spiritual comparisons. We cannot read hearts. We look at the outside. We look at behaviors. We look at, you know, maybe disciplines in somebody's life. But we don't know what's going on inside. We have no idea where they're at. And it's not even, what, what's on the outside is not even close to the whole story. We, we don't know what someone's going through until we've walked a mile, right, in their shoes. And we've got to be honest with ourselves about this. And anytime we feel like we're superior, when we feel like we're superior in any way, God hates that. He hates it. It's on the list. So let's watch out before we say something like, well, that person just needs to get a job. Or, well, you know, that's, what, that's just what happens when you're an addict like that. Or, you know, if those were my kids, they wouldn't act like that. Or, that, that marriage won't last. Or, I'm surprised. I'm not, I'm not surprised that marriage didn't last. Or, I'm here over here serving God. I wish more people would step up. More people need to step up and start serving God like I am. What's wrong with these people? We make comparisons. We're always going to try to come out on top. We can't read hearts. I love what Larry Osborne says about it. He says, we can't see what God sees, which is why he asks us to leave the judging to him. Only God can judge. Pride and, and looking down on others, it just wrecks everything. It's, it's like a cancer. It just it spreads and it spreads until it kills. And you think about it, if you know anybody... If you know anybody in your life, and I'm sure we all do, we've all got somebody, at least one, that's, that is not following Jesus. Maybe it's a family member, a relative, a friend, somebody that you love that's not following Jesus, and you can't figure it out, and you've, you've talked to them, and you've invited them, come to church with me, do this, do that, you know, and, and you, you pray for them every night, 
and your heart's broken, you just, why, why don't they get this? Why won't they follow the Lord? I, there, there's so much good over on that side. Why, why won't they do that? I guarantee you, if, if they would get honest with you, if that person would be honest with you, the number one reason, the number one reason why they don't follow Jesus, they would say something like this. I feel judged. That's going to come out in some way, shape, or form. Now, it may sound like, you know, I, I feel looked down on, or I feel like I don't measure up, or, you know, I feel, you know, somebody, I had a bad church experience, and somebody sometimes said something to me. I mean, there, there, it comes out in lots of different ways, but at the heart of it, what really, what really keeps people from Christ, nine times out of ten, I feel judged. I feel people are looking down on me. So let me, let me give you one really good challenge for today. This is, this is my hard push, okay? I'm going to challenge all of us. If I could just say, if we could just do this one thing, if we could just flip the script and just do this one thing, think about how much different our lives would be and the lives of people we care about and our church and our community and all those arenas, if we could do th just this, Ask ourselves, how can I care for this person instead of asking, how can I correct this person? How can I love them? How, how can I show them a little bit of grace? Could you imagine how our relationships would change if we could lead with that? How can I care for you? How can I encourage you? How would people's perceptions of the church change if God's people would lead with that? Let me care for you. Because one thing that I've learned is when we start getting puffed up, it's just like the Pharisee in that prayer. Yeah, I'm not like those other people. I don't do the things that they, they do. I don't do those bad things. And I'm pretty faithful and I've been pretty obedient. And all of that can be true. Every word of it. You could be completely com committed in all those things. But when we, when we start to become prideful and we look down at others... We're, we're, going to be, we're going to be right, but we're going to be right in all the wrong ways. And we're going to be alone. It's a pretty lonely place there at the top. And it's, and it's, it's not going to make one bit of difference in anyone's life. And God's not going to be honored. And he's not going to be honored when he says, I hate this. It, it just doesn't make a difference. Pride says, let me fix you. Let me correct you. Humility says, let me care for you. Let me come alongside you. We, we've got no right. We've got no right to look down on someone else. Now, if we've got a relationship with a person and there's trust there, we've spent a good deal of time caring for somebody, then we can speak into their life. And, and there are moments where we should speak into somebody's life. We are called to, to point out sin and blind spots and hold others accountable but we'd we, we really be fools to look, look down on somebody else. Uh, one, one of my great friends and mentors, George Ross, he was here a few weeks ago, preached for me. I love George so much. The guy is just, he's, he's one of the best pastors I've ever known. And the way he loves people is, uh, is so genuine and just he's, he's the, a master. But he told me, uh, I remember him telling me one time that before I ever try to help correct someone, I always try to ask myself, have I spent enough time caring for them? 
Have I spent enough time encouraging them? I, I want to make sure that I've encouraged them enough. You remember the old saying that people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care? It's not just like a little, little good saying. It's true. It's reality. And the greatest challenge for all of us as we, as we continue our own pursuits, our own journey with Jesus, this is, this is the challenge. Let me just illustrate this for you. When we read Scripture... We need to allow it to be like a mirror. As I'm holding up the scripture and I'm reading it, I'm looking at myself. And, I, and I'm, I'm re- letting it reflect me and say, okay, where, where do I need to grow? What's God showing me in this? And what is it that I need to do? Where is he leading me? You know, I, I want to be led to deeper waters. So I'm, I'm not looking over here at you. I'm looking here at myself. I'm using the word to reflect myself. But this is the problem. This is what way too many Christians do, is we use the Bible like this. Let's look at you. (laughs) And I'm going to look at a microscopic level, and let's see what's wrong with you. Remember, there's there's a scripture that says we ought to take the plank out of our own eye. Before we try to remove the speck from our brothers. So let's allow the word of God to be like a mirror. To reflect in, in us. And You know, I, I love how practical the Bible is. When we use it like a mirror and we hold it up to ourselves, what do we see? What do we see about ourselves? Let me read you one last verse of scripture and I'll be done. And, and let, this, let this verse kind of just reflect you. Micah 6, 8. And what does the Lord require of you? Wouldn't that be nice to know? If you could just send God a text and say, what do you want from me? What do, what do you want me to do? What are, the, what are my next steps? You know, you tell, you made me, you know me. What, what do you want for my life, Lord? This is how practical scripture is. He tells us says to act act justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God it's a great passage I, I love how the new century translation translate that that verse it says do what is right to other people love being kind to others and live humbly obeying your God can we learn to just walk closely and humbly with Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord, may we not take this issue lightly. I pray for each one of us in this room that you would impress upon us how serious this is, that we would know, Lord, what your call is on us, that it is not to look down at others that we would see ourselves the way that you see us. Lord, help us to use your word as a mirror. Let us look deeply into our own lives. And Lord, convict us of, of any sin, of any error within us, and help us to get back on the right path. Lord, we, we are your witnesses in this world. I pray that we would represent you well. Help us to be more and more like Jesus so that those around us 
can get just a glimpse of him through us. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.